Last Sunday evening was our questions and answers sermon for the month of March. But a few months ago, someone came to me and said, I've got a question for you to uh, answer on the question and answer series. And said, no, really, I guess what I'm asking for you is to preach a lesson. Is what do we owe the local congregation? What kind of obligations do you and I have? And uh, I said, well, I can give you a short answer, but I can actually preach the lesson on it sometime in the not-too-distant future. Well, that's that lesson tonight. Let me begin by talking about the term owe. When we say that we owe something to the local congregation, that implies a debt. That implies that you and I have something that we ought to provide. Now, let me illustrate that to you through a couple of passages. In the book of Philemon, if you'll remember, Philemon was a slave owner, and he owned a slave by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus had been converted and become a Christian, and Paul was sending him back, this runaway slave. And when he does, he's trying to persuade Philemon to forgive and to be able to accept him back. And he says, Paul, I'm writing to you with my own hand. I will repay. And then he goes on to mention, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Here's a situation where Paul is talking about paying Philemon for what was owed on the account of Onesimus. But in return, Paul says to Philemon, don't you realize you owe me your own self? There's a debt there that is deserved. In Romans chapter 13, in verse 8, Paul would write, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You know, it's easy to get ourselves into so much debt into this world, to be obligated to this person and that person, and if I fail to pay that person, then I'm not treating them fairly. In fact, let me take you back to Malachi chapter 3 for just a moment. Brother Randall read that for us, and every time you hear it read publicly, it just it makes a powerful impression upon you. God said, will you rob me? Now, certainly no one wants to think about robbing God and taking something from Him. But do you realize that when he was talking about the tithes and offerings that God expected to be brought into give at the temple that when they failed to pay those tithes, they were robbing God. But I want you to notice as you look at the latter part of that in verse 10 where God talks about the blessing if they did do what he told them to do. He said, bring in the whole tithes or all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me in this. Now notice he says, Try me, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven. I hope that as we study through our lesson tonight, that somewhere in our minds, that the thought is, hey, if I do what I'm supposed to do in the local congregation, that God's going to open the windows of heaven. That this congregation will flourish, do well, grow, 
and be exactly what God wants us to be. Well, what obligations do I have to the local congregation? So here's what we're going to do tonight. I believe that whenever you're going to study the Bible, when you're ever going to uh, try to learn a lesson, you have to really start at the basics. You have to prove your foundation, and then you build upon it. And so for that reason, we're going to talk about the local church. Does God view us as local congregations? Is that the way we're supposed to look at it? Or are we members of the Lord's church at large? As if we don't belong at any one specific place. I think that's an important foundation upon which we must build. And then second of all, I want to talk about the liability. The responsibility, if you will. The obligation that you and I have to the local church. When I go to the Bible and I open it and I start reading from the various passages about the church, it's used in two different senses. It's used, number one, in the sense of the universal church to which all members of the Lord's church, the body of believers, the Christians, are added to. I'm just going to give you a couple of passages with regards to this. Matthew 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, And I say unto you that you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And we've often emphasized he used the singular. He didn't say, I'll build my churches. He said, I'll build my church. God didn't build denominations. God didn't build all of these other religious bodies. He built his church. And if it's his, it's the church of Christ. His body. That's a universal. Anywhere that a person becomes a member, they're baptized in that one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. When I go to Acts 2.47, he says, Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So when you and I become a Christian, God adds us to this great body, the church of Christ. Now... That's a universal sense. However, the Bible does picture, though, local congregations of Christians subject to an eldership and their oversight. For just a few moments, let me explore a few of these. It won't take long for us to see this. And these are just a sampling. There are many more. To the church of God which is in Corinth. Notice, it's a congregation that's in the city of Corinth. Chapter 4, verse 16 of Colossians. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read among the church of the Laodiceans. And that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. There was a, a letter sent to the Colossians. There was a letter sent to the Laodiceans. Paul said, you read them and when you get through, you exchange them. You read theirs and they read yours. Churches in both locations. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. So in these cities where you go, Corinth, Thessalonica, Philippi, Colossae, Ephesus, there are congregations there. But these congregations were shepherded by men who were called elders, pastors, overseers, or bishops. 
And when Peter was writing his first letter, he said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you. You see, when he was writing to those people, you shepherd the flock that's among you. There are no universal bishops in the sense that you have a man that is over a number of churches. You don't ever see that in the scriptures. What you do see is a plurality of men overseeing or shepherding a congregation in that particular locality. And so for that reason, when you and I are obligated, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, obey them that have the rule over you, submit to them, for they watch in behalf of your souls as those who must give an account, that they may do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Hebrews 13 verse 17. He's talking about our being subject to people in a local congregation. Now, if I am a Christian at large and I float from congregation to congregation, who's overseeing my soul? Who's giving account to God for me? You see, in the Bible, you see local congregations with elder oversight. But obviously, congregations met in specific locations, even in people's homes. We're blessed here to have a very nice, comfortable building in which to meet as a congregation because it would be extremely difficult. I don't know of any of us that have a house large enough to seat the audience that's here tonight. And so we're blessed. But as I go through the scriptures, for instance, Romans 16 and verse 5, Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who are the firstfruits of Achaia to Christ. Chapter 16, verse 19 of 1 Corinthians. He talks about Aquila and Priscilla. Greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Colossians 4, verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Again, you could multiply these over and over again where there were people, Christians, meeting in a local person's home. I think it's important to realize that when people traveled from one congregation of people to another congregation of people, frequently letters were sent with them. Imagine, I'm just going to use for illustration, here's a man who is a member of the church in Philippi. Maybe he's been a loyal, faithful servant in that congregation and he's decided he's going to move to Corinth. What does he do? When he leaves Philippi, the brethren, the overseers there, send a letter to the brethren at Corinth saying, We know Brother John. Brother John's a good man. He's been of great service in the Lord's kingdom. You say, well, how do you know they did that? In 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as others or some others, Epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. Do we need that? He said, some do. Paul didn't need it. Paul had established the church at Corinth. He didn't need a letter of commendation. But if I go from here to somewhere and the brethren don't know me, they don't know my character, they don't know my background, would it be good, would it be appropriate, would it be scriptural provide a letter of commendation absolutely it would and so the brethren did 
Now that implies that you have a local church that's responsible for the people under their care. And when those people move somewhere else, someone else then becomes responsible for their care. We also see that in the local church, discipline was practiced on a local basis. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, he was amazed at the congregation there because there was one who had his father's wife. And he says, this is not even existing among the Gentiles, this kind of attitude and behavior that's going on among you. He wrote them in verse 9, he says, I wrote unto you in my epistle not to keep company with fornicators. He had already explained to them they were not to fellowship these people. In fact, he said, to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. But I want you to notice when we get to verse 13, but those who are outside God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Put away from yourselves. Local congregations, local churches have obligations to one another to be obedient to the overseers, to submit to them, and to be a thriving congregation. Now, if that's true, and I think we've established that, then what responsibility or what liability do I have to this local congregation? Well, I'm going to try to go through some things that I think the Bible clearly teaches that one ought to do. And the first one is attendance to the assemblies. This is not just a preacher's thing so that you can put larger numbers on the board. This is a, a matter of God's divine revelation to those who are part of that congregation. Listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Exhort one another daily, as long, while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Now, what he's talking about is our interaction. Notice particularly verse 13, but exhort one another daily. In order for that to happen, you and I have got to have some kind of interaction on a periodic basis. I may be able to go and visit someone somewhere and exhort them and encourage them, but I don't live there. I can't do that on a regular basis. When you get to chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews and you look at verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You see, part of this involves making sure that we encourage one another not to be overtaken by sin. But there's something else that we do. We encourage one another to be stronger, to be more faithful, to do more good works. And then in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. Now, what you recognize that in the middle of the first century, right after the church was established, and now it's almost a second generation. We know from chapter 2 these are a second generation of Christians. And now what happens? As the church starts to assemble, some people just don't show up. 
What are they doing? Well, evidently they must be going about their normal activities. Maybe they're deciding they're wanting to work rather than assemble with the saints. Now, I owe the local congregation to be there. That's a part of my job. I am there to be encouraged, to be edified, to be educated, and to express praise. All four of those activities should be a part of our assemblies. That is the encouragement. When you and I come together and we hear one another what we've been able to do this week, the difficulties, the struggles, we can be encouraged. We're to be edified, to be built up as you and I grow in our knowledge and involved with that is being educated. That we learn more of God's Word as we study together. And then the expression of praise. When we sing praises to God and we have visitors among our assembly, and Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. One comes into your assembly. He, what does he observe? What does he see? Does he see us praising God with our hearts? Oh, yes. I'm there to do those things. But I'm there also to do the same for others. That is, for instance, when I am encouraged, I should be encouraging you. When I am edified, I'm built up, I ought to be edifying you. When you are, I'm educated, I ought to be trying to provide teaching from God's Word for you. You see, as I look at the Scriptures, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, speaking to one another, the singing that we do encourages and uplifts one another. Now, let me take you to the Scriptures and see this in reality. I suppose most of you are well aware of 1 Corinthians 11 as being the chapter about the Lord's Supper. And as the church comes together to partake of the Lord's Supper together, Paul said, now I'm giving you these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. Oh, you mean when the church comes together and assembles, there can be negative things that take place? Absolutely. And we'll have to talk about some of that later. But he talks about these people, one's taking the Lord's Supper before another. Evidently, everybody's looking at this as an individual thing. I bring my supper and you bring your supper and one of us may have a lot, another may have very little. Some may have beautiful things to bring it in, others may not. He said in verse 22, What, do you not have the houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Make sure that our assemblies, what do I owe it? Number one, I owe to be here. I owe it to you to try when I am here to do something to edify, to encourage and uplift you. And I should make every effort to be here. Unless I possibly cannot do so, I may be sick, I may have to be traveling, but I owe the local congregation my attendance to assembly. The second thing that I owe is to be active in the work and the worship of the church. There are two aspects to that. Work 
That is what we do when we leave worship as we assemble together. I'm to participate. When we sing, folks, let me be very careful the way I say this. If I don't participate, I'm sinning. I realize some of us may not be able to sing out loudly because we may have problems with our voices. Some of us may not be able to get up and lead a public prayer for whatever reason, maybe physical limitations. But I have an obligation to participate in the prayers, in the singing, in the partaking of the Lord's Supper, in the giving. Not everyone has the same ability, but everybody's needed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 22, and I'm not going to read the details here, but you've heard me mention these before where, for instance, a person who doesn't occupy the same position as someone else, one says, uh, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it not therefore the body? And then he goes on to say, well, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were the hearing, where would be the smelling? We need people with different talents and different abilities. But we need to realize that we as members of that body do have a function. We do have an obligation. You know, if I've got two hands and I need to pick something up and it's heavy, I need to use both my hands. There are times in the Lord's work when we need two, three, four, ten, twenty, a hundred people doing things. No, we don't all have the same talent, but we all have an obligation. And uh, verse 21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We can't ever get to that point where we don't feel that we need everyone. And because I do have something that God has blessed me with, I must not neglect to use it. To use as an illustration, Paul evidently had laid his hands on the young preacher Timothy and imparted to him a miraculous gift. Evidently, Timothy had chosen for whatever sake, most likely being timid, that he wasn't going to use it. When I go to 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no one despise your youth but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. Timothy, put some effort into what you've been given. When you go to 2 Timothy chapter 1, 6 and 7, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and of a sound mind. What's he wanting from us? When it comes time for us to participate, when Brother Shannon comes to you and says, Can you help me? You know what you ought to say? What do you need me to do? When Brother Don comes to you and says, Can you teach a class? You need to say, What age level? As long as he doesn't ask me to teach the toddlers. There are many ladies much more capable than... That's their talent. It's not mine. I think about what Mark 14... As the Lord was anointed, there was a lot of dispute about what was done. And 
You go there in verse 3, there's, he's at the house and Simon the leper in Bethany. He sat at the table. A woman came and brought an alabaster flask of costly oil of spikenard. She broke the flask, poured it on his head. Some were indignant, said among themselves, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. And I like the way verse 8 just simply says, she has done what she could. She didn't, couldn't do everything, but she did what she could do. When I look at what I can be a part of in the local work, I may can't do everything, but I can do something and do what we can. Next is to support the church with our assets. Now, I know that immediately what's going through a lot of people is, oh, yeah, he's talking, going to talk about giving. I am. But first, I'm going to talk about giving our moral support. How do I speak about the local church? How do I act in the local congregation? In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we exhort you, brethren, warn the unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. If my asset is to be a person who helps people getting through a difficult time, I ought to be there for them. We ought to be a Barnabas. Acts 4, verse 36. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated the son of encouragement. They gave him the name Barnabas. That wasn't his normal name. He wasn't born with Barnabas. He was born with the name Joseph. But they called him Barnabas because he was an encourager. Romans 1, verse 12. Paul says... That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Here's something I'm worried about sometimes, though. That we don't give our moral support to the local church as if we speak about it good. James 4 and verse 11, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. He's saying, don't speak evil of one another. We need to speak up the Lord's church, not speak down about its members. We ought to support the Lord's church. We have an obligation to do so with our assets that we have that are financial as well. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he told them in chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let most of you... No, that's not what he said. Let the rich of you... No, that's not what he said. Let each of you lay something aside storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections made when I come. On the first day of the week, we each are obligated to give something to support the work of the Lord's church. What does that do? That's necessary for the preaching of the gospel. 
Do you realize that this congregation supports men in several places to preach and teach God's Word? Some of them are in some very difficult places at this time. And Paul would write to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he says in verse 7, Just as it's right for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch both in my chains and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of this grace. You've been people who've really given to this. And it's necessary for the church to care for the needy. Second Corinthians 9, 12, he said, This supplies the needs of the saints and abounds to many thanksgivings to God. He talks about in chapter 5, verse 16 of 1 Timothy, about how that the church should be able to provide for those who are really widows. So for that reason, let me encourage you. If you're going to travel, you're going to be out of town, don't forget the local congregation. Don't forget the obligations that you have. Does the work here go on if you're traveling? Absolutely it does. And you ought to be willing and ready to provide when you return or maybe even before you leave. Let me talk a minute about unity. I owe the local congregation to try to work together to bring about the wholeness of the whole body. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, Paul would write, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Now listen carefully to verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring. That's my job. I've got to work toward making this congregation work together to try to seek for and find peace within this congregation and what that will require. And we talk about it all the time. But folks, this is something we need to really seriously think about. There cannot be any cliques in the Lord's church. Oh, what's a clique? Oh, that's, that's my little group over here. We get together, we talk, but we don't... We're sort of a separate group within a group. Oh, no, no, you can't have that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be, now listen carefully, no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. Did they have cliques at Corinth? Absolutely they did. For it's been declared to me by you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contingions among you. Now one says, I am of Paul, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? When you get to chapter 3, he said, I cannot speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal people, as unto babes in Christ. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Verse 3, for you are still carnal and there's envy and strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? When a congregation 
is subdivided and brought about into little cliques, little groups, that destroys the unity of the church. What do I owe the congregation? Oh, my, to speak to every one of you. To love every one of you. Because we're all members of one another. That means then if we have problems, we've got to learn to resolve conflicts. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Work together. Try to be strong and unified together. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 you come to bring your gift. You realize your brother has all against you. Go to your brother. First be reconciled. Then come and you offer your gift. And then I owe an honorable life. I'm not to embarrass the local church. I can't go out on Saturday night and party and live like the worldly people and then come to church and not be an embarrassment. In fact, I'm supposed to let my light shine. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. He said, verse 16, Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Philippians 2, 15, That you become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I owe this church to be a godly person. Let me ask you a question. What would you think if the preacher started going out and doing things that brought shame on the church? You'd be looking at the elders and saying, this man's not what he ought to be. He's either going to have to shape up or ship out. What do you do if if a member of the congregation is not doing... He's not giving the church what he owes the congregation. As I bring all this together, I'm afraid sometime our speech betrays us. Just like Peter as he was being questioned about being a disciple of the Lord. and No, your speech betrays you. Well, when you speak about the local congregation here, do you use the inclusive words of we and us and our? Or do you use the exclusive words to say you guys or them or you speak about the church is separate from you. We are the church. We are the local congregation. And if you're a member of this congregation, of this body, it should be we and us and our rather than they and them. Are you robbing God by your support and encouragement of the local church? You know, the people looking at God in the book of Malachi were like, well, what have we done? What have we done? Sometimes we don't realize what we owe God. Why not tonight commit to being more involved, to be more faithful in your attendance, not just being here, but being active, Speaking to those that you might not normally speak to. Why not make sure that we work together and and grow and, and become a part of one another?
That's what it takes to make a congregation for whom God will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there won't be room enough to receive it. Well, wouldn't it be great that because of the way we treated one another, the way we acted, the way we lived, that this place becomes so big that we couldn't meet here. Not a room enough to receive it. If you're not a Christian tonight, you can be one. You can come confessing your faith in Christ and being baptized for the remission of your sins. We'd love to have a new brother, a new sister in Christ tonight. If you're a Christian and you look at your life and you say, it's not right, I need to be faithful, I need to be restored, we can pray with you. Would you come while we stand and sing?